Well, if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to, uh, believe it or not, Proverbs chapter 28. We're going to crack open a new chapter this morning in the book of Proverbs. I like to, while we're in here, I was back there looking at the soundboard. Uh, we got some 28 people or so uh, uh, coming in on the YouTube, many of them from uh, uh, around the country, some from around the world, and I want to welcome all of you there. Uh, you know, I don't know if you do know it or not, but uh, on this side, they have these little comments that people make while we're actually moving through those lesson or uh, through Bible study. I, I read them. I think they're, you know, you always get 99.9% of the people that follow us are just where we're at. You know, they're really good people. But you know as well as I do, wherever you got light, you got bugs. And every once in a while, you'll get a guy on there. I guess it's a guy. Uh, who is way off the, you know, and and I and I love, I love the way it's kind of like a, a thing going on while the, our thing's going on. I love the way the people on the internet handle people like that. It's great. You got to read it. It's just really good. Aaron gets into it back there, and you know, and Woody does, and then then uh, you people, you know, that are on it, you uh, you're coming back and 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 holding the line with the book. Hey, I think it's wonderful. I mean, it's like, I mean, it's just. I don't know what to tell you. I think it's great. But anyway, welcome to it, and I hope you get a blessing today. Now, you remember that last week, we finished out chapter 27 uh, with, again, a great set of practical principles for us, you know, as, uh, as a church, and then, of course, as, as individuals. And last week, we saw a number of things, and just a quick review here, because they kind of go together. Uh, we saw how that uh, worldly riches and possession uh, really chokes what God wants to do in your life. And that's the word that was used in Mark chapter 4, verse 19. And I, I think it's a good way that he uses that. You know, and how that, uh, the theme last week was how that the crowns that we uh, win at the judgment seat of Christ, uh, that we earn now, and there's five of them in the Bible, uh, how that that needs to be passed on to our kids uh, and their kids, and the Bible made a reference that the crown going from generation to generation. And uh, we saw that uh, how important it was to make good uh, choices and good investments. And I've told you many, many, many times, you know, for years, that there's only two investments worthy uh, in our lives that really last for all of eternity. Everything else is temporal, and that, of course, is, first of all, the Word of God, and then, of course, the souls of men. Only two eternal things worth invested in. And all of our verses last week were about, were about our children, you know, uh, God's heritage, and, of course, the young Christians in our church that, that I personally take very seriously of helping them, and, you know, and that uh, we feed them that they grow and in time, uh, they mature to the place where we saw last week that uh, they literally help buy the field. And, and we talked about our ministry here. You know, Matthew chapter 13, in that great parable, tells us that the field is the world. And then the Bible says in John chapter 3, verse 16, that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And, you know, just as, just as Jesus saw the world as his field, and he gave up everything to buy that field. You know, I think many times we misunderstand. God never asked us to, to win the world to Christ. That sounds good when you're preaching or when you want to make some exasperating statement, but it's really not true. Uh, Jesus Christ bought the field. What he wants us to do is to, uh, he bought the field. What Proverbs chapter 31, what God wants to do is buy a field. And Kansas City is our field. 
And yet it's not the world, but it's our field. But yet we buy our field with the same intensity that Christ bought the field, the world. And, uh, you know, that's how I look at it. That's how I operate my ministry. And that's how, you know, I try to instill that into you. And we saw last week in verse 27 told us that when we do that, that when we have enough milk, Bible, uh, for three things. First of all, for ourselves. And we talked about how it all starts with us, whether it's our family, whether it's uh, our church, uh, whether it's uh, your own individual life that you're going to break that chain and move down and, and make sure the crown goes from generation to generation, uh, our, uh, our families or the people that we work with. And uh, making sure that the, we have enough for ourselves, for our families, and then for others. Now today, as I said, we're going to move into chapter 28. <clears throat> and here we will switch gears just a bit. And uh, I mentioned a little bit about this in Institute yesterday, uh, that this chapter starts out with a political agenda. And uh, it makes a political statement. And, you know, that really shouldn't be a surprise to, to anybody because if you know anything about the Bible, you know that the Bible is a book on, on government. It's a book on civics. You know, we think of the Bible as a spiritual book. We talk about it as the marriage for a manual for handbook for marriage. We talk about for growth, for salvation, and all those things. The Bible's a great history book. We know that first and foremost. But we don't ever stop to think about beyond all of that or before all of that. The Bible's a political book. You know, the Bible's a political statement. In our world today, we have a term called political correctness. And uh, we never had that term for years and years and years, but now in the last 20 or 30 years or so, the liberals of this world uh, who want to make everything, uh, you know, their way and everything uh, to a uh, socialistic uh, liberalism mindset, moderate mindset, they want to take anything that offends anybody. So now in everything that we say, we got to be politically correct that we don't offend anybody. And I've learned years ago, you know, that everything the world comes up with in one shape or the other is a, is a carbon copy of something that God's already got. Now, you take the term political correctness. We think that is a bogus term, and we think it's a term that, is, that we don't like. But you know the truth of the matter is that's a biblical term because when Jesus Christ comes back and sets up his government, it's going to be politically correct. And that's exactly the way it'll run. So all this that you're seeing today is, you know, uh, is just a, a forerunner of that. And you know as well as I do, if you know anything about the Bible at all, that the theme of the Bible is not salvation. The theme of the Bible is not Christ. The theme of the Bible is a kingdom. The theme of the Bible is a crown, a throne, uh, the, a monarchy with a king. The theme of the Bible is the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, an established political government. Why, in Revelation chapter 19, verses 1 through 6, Jesus is called the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He takes over all the political systems. Now, as I said, it would be, it would be, it would be safe to say that all governments down through history would be a counterfeit of, of this one true government that God is going to establish. You know, the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon really lays out all of those uh, forms of government that uh, man uh, will take and will try to overthrow what God's going to do to establish himself through his own political agenda uh, called government. And uh, Ecclesiastes co covers humanism. It covers communism. It covers capitalism. 
It covers fascism. It covers uh, socialism. It covers uh, modernism. It covers liberalism. It covers all of those mindsets that government, and at the end, it tells us, the wisest men that ever lived says that they're all vanity. God's government is found in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. Very clearly, plainly, you couldn't miss it unless you got a college education. It says, for unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And the government, there it is, the government. Now, that government there is the second coming of Christ and the millennial reign of Christ when he establishes his government. Government. The government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now, verse 7, of the increase of his government. So when God comes back at the second coming of Christ, he establishes the government that is going to be politically correct, going to be ruled with a rod of iron. It's, it's laid out all many places in the Bible. Uh, and you'll find that if you, you know, we have a Declaration of Independence for America. We also have a Constitution. And that's what our government runs by. And of course, when Christ comes back to establish his government, he has a Constitution also. And it's found in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 the constitution of his government when he comes back, and of the increase of his government and peace. Now keep that in mind because we're going to kind of weave this through today. Uh, Government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will uh, perform this. So governments claim uh, to be about peace. Uh, There isn't a government that if you would ask them, uh, uh, what are you doing? And they they would be, we're we're here for the people. We're here to make, you know, life better for you. And of course, uh, you know, we're here to protect you. We're here to to establish peace. But that's simply not true. Governments are not, today, are not about peace. Governments are about power and about money. They're about race. And I'm not talking about blacks and whites and and Mexicans and Hispanics. And I'm talking about the human race. It's about man getting in a race with other man through nations that one nation can be on top. And all through the history of the Bible, you go back to Daniel chapter 2, when the times of the Gentiles come in, it's clearly there. You got... You had, Egypt, you had the Egyptians, Egypt. Then you had Assyria. Then you had Babylon. Then you had Persia. Then you had Greece. Then you have Rome. It's one nation after the other, one government after the other, in a race to be the number one over the world. Rome ran the world. Greece ran the world. Egypt ran the known world back then. Assyria did too. And, you know, and we, we claim... We claim, you know, to have a government. But, you know, you'll find in the Bible that the first city and also the establishment of first government, cities have to have a government, was started by a murderer. Cain, Genesis chapter 4. He builds a city, names it after him, names it, you know, after, him, after his, his line. And he, 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 he started the first city. He's a murderer. And that's why you're going to find that the murder rate in cities, it goes off the chart. The farther we get from the Bible, the closer we get to the Lord coming back. And, uh, you know, you don't, you've got towns, little country towns uh, uh, all across this country that never had a homicide in it. But you go to Chicago, Kansas City, probably two, 300 people a year are killed one way or the other. 
And we claim in our government to have a government of the people. You hear it all the time. A government of the people, by the people, and for the people. Now, that sounds impressive, but you know what? That's an illusion. It's not true. Government is about power. I mean, it's about, at the end, somebody controlling us so they can have their own personal agenda to stay in power and through the corporations and all that they do, uh, get all the money they can. Anybody who's into government and understands government knows that the bigger the government gets, the more freedom you lose. Why, we laughingly call the government Big Brother, looking over your shoulder. President Reagan was a great president, and I think he did a lot of good things. And one of the famous statements that he ever made was that he said, you know what the 10 most horrible words are in the world? Hi, I'm from the federal government, and I'm here to help. (laughs) Now, he was the president of the United States. It's about power. And at the end of the day, somebody controlling you to get their own personal agenda. It doesn't matter if three-quarters of the world think that the Second Amendment of keeping and bearing arms is is for you. If there's a small group that don't want that, they're going to work against that. You don't care what you think about it. Health care. I mean, illegal aliens. You know, it's a thing where, you know, it, it it doesn't matter that the laws are on the books. There's a way you come into this country. There's a certain people in this country that knows that the legal aliens come in and they can get them health care and get them this and that and get them to vote. They'll vote for them. So they don't care what the law says. They don't care if they come out there and hurt you or harm you or somebody in your family. It isn't about us. It's about what they want. That's government. Now, in the Old Testament, God operates, and you need to know this, in the Old Testament, God operates through nations. He does. And one nation out of all the rest was chosen by God to be his nation. It's just that simple. Uh, Note, it's it's not a godly nation. You need to see that. There was a lot of corruption even in Israel. It wasn't a godly nation. It was simply God's nation. He chose them to be a nation. And he gives them a kingly line. Find it in Matthew chapter 1. You find it through 1 Kings, 1 Chronicles. The line of the kings of Israel. And their kingdom is the kingdom of heaven, which God in time was going to come down. Isaiah 9, verse 6 and 7 is the end related to that. And he was going to establish it. Now, we're in the Old Testament, you know, excuse me, in the New Testament, you know, there is no such thing as a Christian nation. And you hear this all the time. Uh, Obama probably said it better than anybody. Somewhere in his eight years in office, he got up one time and said, I think we've come to the place that we understand now that America is not a Christian nation. And, of course, he was talking about all the diversity because he's a Muslim too, and he you know, was talking about being everybody in it. But I, I agree with him. America has never been a Christian nation because there is no such thing as a Christian nation. You may have a nation with Christians living in it, but there's no Christian nation. The only, the, only, the only nation that was God's nation is back in the Old Testament. And here's how it works. In the Old Testament, God had a nation. And that nation, everybody on earth got blessed when you got associated with that nation. In the New Testament, he doesn't have a nation. He has a book. And everybody that gets associated with that book gets the blessings of it. That's how it works. It's not hard. It's not, uh, it's not complicated at all. And you'll find that in the Old Testament, there's a king and there's a nation because, as we know, it's a lit, they're given a literal, visible kingdom called the kingdom of heaven. In the New Testament, the reason why there's no Christian nation, 
but rather a body of believers that is a spiritual body is because we're in the kingdom of God and there lies the difference. God doesn't have a nation today. He has a body of people that are born again in his image called Christians. And when they make up a nation, it doesn't make the nation Christian. It just makes, here's a nation with a bunch of Christians in it. I mean, it's simple. The closest time in in the New Testament time to us that uh, you ever saw two nations that probably got as close uh, to being what God wanted them to be was obviously uh, in the his- in modern history, anyhow, from the time of Christ on, is probably, first of all, England. We know that England, you know, uh, still has a queen today. They operate under a monarchy. and uh, But God used his, uh, England mightily to bring about the Word of God, the King James Bible. And then as England began to wane out, then God established America. You know, and America certainly was established on the, on the Word of God. And... Uh, you know, it's a thing where uh, England is still a monarchy. But when America was founded and formed, and you don't hear anything about this today because they want to stay as far away from this as possible. When America was, was gave, when, when the founding fathers and the, gave birth to America, we broke from England. America was a republic. You remember in your little Pledge of Allegiance, and uh, I pledge allegiance to the flag, and I said, America, and to the what? Republic for which it stands, one nation, indivisible, under God, indivisible, with tacos, Big Macs, and whatever else it goes. I'm not sure what it was, but anyway. And most people don't understand today, honestly. They don't understand the difference between, you hear it, you're a democracy and Republicans, or a republic. And the Democrats is a spinoff of democracy, and obviously the Republicans are a spinoff of Republic. So in that being said, the Republicans are always more on a conservative side, and, and people that are normal people want to identify with that, where the liberal side is all the uh, Democrats and all that, and people don't want to be associated with that. But my point is this, and I'm not political one way or another, but well, my point is simply this, you need to understand the difference. You know, a democracy is the majority rules. If you have 100 people and you vote and 51 people vote for this and 49 vote against it, it, it passes. There's no rule that you follow. It's simply the majority rules. And that's a, demo- that's a democracy. A democracy is the people decide without any rule of law interfering in that at all. But a republic is different. A republic is, is you follow a rule of law that things that cannot change that you, you have to build your government on. And when our country was founded, that was the word of God. And people would disagree with that, and you're going to find people who are not very well informed that, that, that probably don't like what I just said, but... If you would go back and find a copy of Blackstone Commentary on Law, which was the official document book on law in the United States of America from 1776 to 1920, it was the standard issue, Blackstone Commentary on Law. In that commentary on law, they state that a republic 
A republic follows and operates that the things that God has set down, the things that God has legislated, like capital punishment, homosexuality, drunkenness, moral issues, the very things that in a republic that God has has set down and have legislated cannot be changed. And you form your government based on those laws. Now, when it comes to the price of corn, the price of gas, putting tariffs on cars coming in or anything that comes in, then in a republic, you, you can change that. You can decide, vote, whatever you want to do. But in a republic, in our republic, the way it was set up based on Blackstone community on law, commentary on law, our country was founded on the word of God and the things that God legislated in his book. In our government and republic could not be changed. The only thing you could change was the stuff that God didn't care about, like what kind of refrigerator you're going to buy or what kind of stocks you're going to buy. But the moral issues that were clearly legislated in the Bible, in a republic, they cannot change. And, of course, that's an incredible concept. One is run by the people. That's a democracy. The other is run by the rule of law, being the Bible. And, uh, and of course, Romans chapter 13 uh, talks about our relationship as Christians to the law. You see, our founding fathers knew all too well how important the Bible was and God was to this government. Now, we've lost that today. Our government was founded in the 1700s, 1776. We fought the Revolutionary War and all of that. And here we are all these years later, and we have forgotten all of these truths. Our founding fathers had come over from Europe. They had escaped the persecution of Europe through the Roman Catholic Church and many of the Protestant groups. And Europe was landlocked, and it was run by church-state setups that they couldn't get away from. So the reason why the pilgrims, who were born-again believers, came over at Plymouth Rock was to escape that persecution. And when our founding fathers, it got to the point where they were going to break off from England, they understood. They understood what they had escaped from over there. They realized the Bible that they had and how important God was. Now, most people don't even notice this, and it shows how stupid people really are. And I, you say you don't like the word stupid. I do. Uh, it, it shows you how stupid people really are. You take a trip. You know what we ought to do? We all ought to take a trip to Washington, D.C. Wouldn't that be fun? Yeah, yeah it would be. And we'd all get, a, get on a plane, charter a plane, and, you know, uh, and, and fly out there. It'll be a Bible trip. And here's what I would do if we got on that plane. We land there in Dallas Airport in Washington. We all get on, have two or three buses there, and we got a whole crowd of people. And the first two I would take you on are all the buildings. And we'd go through hundreds and hundreds of buildings in Washington, D.C. that were built 200 years ago, 150 years ago. You know what you would find on the top of every one of those buildings? A verse out of a King James 1611 authorized version. You know why that in the courthouses they want to take it out now, but you know for all years there have been a, 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 a set of Ten Commandments in every courthouse in this country, and now the liberals want to take it out? 
But you know why it was put in there? Because this country was built on a republic. And a republic has to have a rule of law. And what better rule of law to start with than the Ten Commandments? But people don't know that. Every federal building in Washington, D.C. will have a Bible verse from a King James 1611 authorized version. The Supreme Court, the lobby, is filled with them. Everywhere you look, there's a, there's a verse out of a King James. Doesn't it bother you? Doesn't it bother you today that you're out there and you reject the King James Bible when the founding fathers didn't put one verse from an RSV on anything Amen. or an NIV? Why did they choose a King James 1611 that every building in Washington, D.C. has a verse on it out of the book that I'm telling you is the only book? The Supreme Court, Washington's Monument, Jefferson's Monument, the Lincoln Memorial, scores and scores and scores of buildings. And you know what they are? They're verses about God. They're verses about God's truth. They're verses about God's holiness. They're verses about God's righteousness. They're verses about God's judgment. This country was built on a King James Bible. And you got some neo-evangelical idiot. You got some Baptist that doesn't know anything about the Bible trying to take the very book out of your hands that our founding fathers not only believed, they inscribed it on the buildings. This country was built on that Bible. And our founding fathers knew how important the Word of God was to our survival. And there isn't one verse off of, I mean, hey, the Roman Catholic Church was at its power at that point. There wasn't one verse off of Sinaiticus or Vaticanus or the Douay Reims. Every verse on those buildings, scores of them, hundreds of them. We would take a trip to every building. You could walk from building to building and preach a message on it. Out of the Bible that you hold in your lap today. And some stupid, idiotic preacher. Yes, you. Is going to tell you you can't trust that book when our founding fathers not only trusted it, they inscribed it on every building in Washington, D.C. Now let's read our verse today and get into the message. (laughs) Holy matrimony! Here we go. Twenty-eight, one, two, and three, and four. If you can't stand it, there's the door. <laughs> the wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. For the transgression of a land, many are the princes thereof. But by a man of understanding and knowledge, the state thereof shall be prolonged. A poor man that oppresseth the poor is like a sweeping rain which leaveth no food. They that forsake the law praise the wicked, but such as keep the law contend with them. Father, we thank you and praise you today for the Lord Jesus. Pray your blessings upon our time. Thank you for uh, the Bible that you've given us, which is so many dimensions to it. But Lord, we look and hasten to the establishment of God's government. We pray, Lord, that even today yet you'd come and and take us off this old planet, do what you got to do to get back here and establish 
Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. We'll thank you and praise you for today. In Jesus' name, for sake we ask it. Amen. Now, verse 1 says, The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. The wicked flee when no one pursueth. Boy, if that is in America, I don't know what it is. We as American, our government, we're afraid of everything and everybody. We, we kowtow to everybody, every nation. They can intimidate us. And, you know, people don't like President Trump, and I don't really care one way or the other about him. It doesn't matter to me. But you know what? He, he, all, the, all the trade deals we have with China, all the things, how they're just in Mexico, how everybody is taking advantage of America. And obviously, he wants to write that. I don't know if he will or not. I don't know if he can or not. But he wants to try to do that. So he says he does. But I don't care about that. Bottom line is, how do we get in that mess? I'll tell you how we got in that mess. We got in that mess because we kowtowed to people. We got in that mess because we got in so much debt because of stupid spending, we had to sell our debt to China, who was buying millions and billions and billions and billions of dollars of our debt that they own most of America. And someday they're going to walk in here and say, hey, this belongs to us. We got a government that doesn't want to, we don't want to upset, any, upset anybody. We don't want to upset any groups of people. We don't want to upset the gays and the lesbians. We don't want to upset the tree huggers. We don't want to upset the minority groups, the illegal aliens, the gloaming warmer crowd. Uh, we, don't, we, don't want to, we, don't want to, we don't want to do anything that's going to upset Russia. So we parley with them. We don't want to do anything that's going to upset China. So we have little meetings with them. We don't want to do anything that's going to upset uh, North Korea. Because at the end of the day, we've lost our power as a great nation. And we're just now in the hodgepodge with everybody. It's just that simple. I mean, you know, we got, it blows my mind. And here again, I'm telling you, the government is not anything to do for you, I promise you. Oh, you may get Social Security, thank God for that. You may get Medicare, thank God for that. I mean, there's some perks to it, I get it. But when push comes to shove, they give you a little bit so they can get a lot. And at the end of the day, they don't care about you. I mean, come on. I don't, you know, and when I talk about a president, I talk about him equally with disdain. I don't have favorites over one or the other. I'm not a Republican, nor am I a Democrat. I'm a born-again child of God, washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm an American. I fought for it one time. I'd fight for it again because killing people is really fun. But the bottom line is simply this. I'm just kidding you. The bottom line is really this. It's about the book. The Bible says if you're saved this morning, I know you're in America. I know you're an American citizen, most of you. Hopefully. If not, Steve, check their green cards on the way out. But the bottom line is this. That Bible says that you're now, your citizenship is in heaven if you're saved. Bible says you're a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away. I live at 8308 Woodson Drive in Raytown, Missouri. Redneck capital of the world. But I'm telling you right now, my home is up in heaven. And you may see my shark car sitting out in the driveway. You may see me out, you know, walking the dog or doing whatever. But that Bible says I'm seated in heavenly places. And I have to be in this world, but I'm not of this world anymore. I got a higher calling. It means more than that. Uh, You know, and in this country, we're afraid of everything that we shouldn't be afraid of. And the very one thing we should be afraid of, God and the Word of God, we don't fear. And that's where we're at today. 
I think of Obama with, with Iran in a secret little deal. I mean, here's a country that we're so worried about is going to get a nuclear bomb. And boy, if they ever get one, a, a dirty bomb, and do you think they're not going to try to get it in to use it on us? They hate us with a passion. They hate everything we stand for, and if they could wipe us off the map tomorrow, they would. So instead of keeping him at arm's length, of Kennedy being hard, what did Obama do? Secretly shipped over $1.7 billion to them. Five aircraft landed, cases of money so high under dark, dark security, and gave that regime, listen to me, not $1.7 million, $1.7 billion. Because they said, you owe us this money. Ooh, okay, okay. You tell me I owe you this money, I'd say come over to the White House and collect it. Meet my two bodyguards, Mr. Smith and Mr. Wesson. <laughs> now, you know, let me talk to you a minute. You know how many homeless vets we have in this country? Yeah. It used to take you 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes to go to Overland Park. Takes you two days now because of the road construction. <laughs> the bridges are out. The potholes are humongous. You think you're Apollo 12 just landing on the moon. We got so many homeless people, sick people, people that need help, vets that are living on the street that serve this country, and we're going to send $1.7 billion to a pagan over there who will use it to wipe us out. You know why? Because we're afraid of them. That's why. We are a nation that fears everybody and are feared by nobody and cannot fear the one we need to fear. In fact, Daniel chapter 7, don't tell me God doesn't have a, a, per, a sense of humor. Over there in Daniel chapter 7, verse 6, he, he talks about the prophecy of the nations, and America is one of the prophecy, and America portrays herself as a great eagle. You know what God calls her in Daniel chapter 7, verse 6? She's a chicken. Read it. You know, years ago down in Cuba, around 1867, I forget the exact date, a missionary was falsely accused of a crime and sentenced to death. On the morning of his execution, the American ambassador showed up. He tried all the political things, and they, for whatever reason, wanted to shoot this guy. And uh, so the American ambassador to Mexico ran up and draped this guy in an American flag. And I looked at the firing squad and the guy in charge and said, Shoot if you dare. That shut the whole thing down. They weren't going to shoot the American flag because they knew what it represented. It. Try it today. <laughs> Teddy Roosevelt said, walk softly but carry a big stick. That's great advice. I like President Kennedy. Most of you weren't even born then. President Kennedy went through the Cuban Missile Crisis back in 62. That Cuba, Russia was putting interballistic short-range missiles, nuclear warheads on the Cuba, 90 miles off the coast of Florida. If they launched one of those, it would hit Washington, D.C. in four minutes. No time for warning. And Kennedy says, that ain't going to happen. Put a blockade. And he said, you know what? Any Russian ships cross this line, we're going to stop you. If you don't stop, we're going to disable you. And then we're going to board you. 
And you know what? He held that line. You know what Russia did? They came right up to that line and turned around and went, to, went away. He, he, he called them off. Try that today. Well, we'll give you another $1.7 billion if you don't come and hurt us. Back in World War II, we didn't start World War II. Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor, December 7, 1941. And of course, uh, two days later, three days later, Germany declared war on the United States. We didn't start it. Hitler started it in Europe and wanted to conquer the world. The Japanese started on the Pacific. They wanted to do it, and they attacked us. And it came down to the thing after four or five long years of war, we beat Germany, and now the Japan has left, and it was coming down to we were going to have to invade the nation of the empire of Japan. And they knew, they knew that if we attacked them, they had every man, woman, and child ready to defend their homeland, and they estimated that it would cost American lives over one million plus lives to invade to end the war. So you know what Truman did? Drop the atom bomb. Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Two days later, they said, whoa, time out, we quit. That took courage. You know, there was a school in Independence about 10 years ago that one of these liberal political teachers had a thing for his class that they wanted to bring President Truman up on war crimes for dropping the atomic bomb. And he's still teaching over there. He's teaching... Plastic Explosives 101. I don't know. <laughs> Today we buy our way. We make deals behind closed doors. We play the political game all while, yes, people suffer and die. Look at Vietnam. Look at Korea. Look at Africa. Look at Bosnia. We call it nation building. We go in and overthrow governments by our CIA and we start new governments and people get killed in the process. Why? Because we want to have... We want to have a world full of democracy. No, no, no. What you need to have is a world full of God and his government. Uh, hey, hey, the greatest example is Israel in the Middle East. The only thing that's keeping this nation of nose above water from drowning is our national policy on the nation of Israel. We've already dumped the Bible. And when that goes, look out. But we play it back and forth. We, we, you know, we, the presidents, they, well, I'm pro-Israel. But yeah, but you play game with the, with the Muslim world. You give them the land that God has clearly said belongs to them, the Jew. The Jew only has a fingernail tip on what the whole land grant. Every, all the Muslims got everything else. What, you can't read Galatians 4 where God says, cast out the bondwoman, the Muslim? We try to play politics with the Muslim nations against Israel. We give them God's land, the West Bank. We give them all of the areas that God clearly says belongs to the nation of Israel. Because we're afraid. A Christian nation, a real one, if there is such a thing as a Christian nation, uh, would, would take its stand. The president would get up and say, you know what, sorry boys, the Bible says that land belongs to the Jew and we're going to give it all to them. You have to get in line behind them. Now, you understand why you can't, and I know uh, politicians tell you this all the time. You ever notice how politicians don't want to present themselves as Christians? They'll always use generic words. Yes, I have faith. Yes, I, I'm, I'm a person of faith. What does that mean? That means you sat down on that chair and you had faith that it was going to hold you. You never hear him use Jesus Christ. 
When's the last time you heard a politician talk about the fact that the Roman Catholic Church was the great whore, Revelation 17 and 18? When's the last time you ever heard a politician get up and talk about how many people he's won to Christ? When's the last time they gave a political speech to raise money and said, you know what, end of the day, you need to be in your Bible. I hope you're all reading your Bible. Let me give you a verse for the day. Go to my blog, and they'll have a verse for the day, and that verse will be out of a King James. They ain't going to do that. They never get elected that way. That's why I'll never be president. I know. Look at the last part of verse 1. But the righteous are as bold as a lion. You bet they are. And that lion's a lima tribe of Judah. And most churches... Most pastors, most Christians, as the politicians, they're exactly the same way. They're cowards. They're cowards. They're scared of everything and everybody. They're scared that God does have a perfect Bible, and then you'd be out of a job. There's political correctness in churches just like there are in the political world. That's why these guys don't preach anymore. They don't want to offend anybody. They want to be politically correct in their sermons. They want to lay it out that nobody gets offended because they want everybody to come. So they're not going to preach about sin. They're not going to get down in your face about where you're at. They're going to talk about the parameters of Christianity. They're all Christian celebrities. People like Rick Warren. People like Joe Olstein, Chuck Swindle. You know, or your new evangelical crowd or your Baptist that, that pastor who is so scared of the truth. Listen, I know we've thrown the Bible out a long time ago. I get it. I understand. I totally grasp it. But I want to tell you something. You want a picture of this lion here that we ought to be, but the righteous are as bold of a lion? You're not going to find it in modern-day Christianity. You're not going to find it on the Internet. You're not going to find it with this guy or that guy. You know where you're going to find it? You're going to find the model in the Bible. You take, for instance, just start at the top. Just take Christ. Let me ask you a question. Did Christ ever make... Any, any effort to adjust any sermon he any preached to anybody? No. Did he ever worry about offending the scribes and the Pharisees or the publicans and the sinners? No. Did he adjust his message so he wouldn't be too harsh on them, so they wouldn't, uh, you know, reject it? No. You know what? Truth is truth. Amen. And the greatest thing is, it is not how you present the truth. The real question is, did you present the truth? Amen. But we live in a world that's against truth. And Christ, there's a great example. One, not one time did he make an effort to adjust his message to anybody. The scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, read Matthew chapter 23 one time. Boy, he tears them apart, I'll, I'll tell you. How about Jeremiah? Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 9 through 14. Do you ever see how blatant he is about what he says? He doesn't hold anything back. He didn't care about their sensibilities. He didn't care about their feelings. He cares about giving them God's truth. Because sometimes for you to move on the truth, you have to get your toes stepped on. Sometimes you to move on the truth, you have to get right between the eyeballs. But the problem is they don't want to run the board. They don't want to roll the dice with that because you may not do that. You may get mad and you lose and then you lose their income. How about Micaiah? Do you ever read him over there in 1 Kings chapter 22, verse 14? I got his verse on the front of my other Bible that I used to preach out of. 1 Kings 22, 14. And Micaiah said, As the Lord liveth, what the Lord saith unto me, lot will I speak. Whew, that's a good verse. I'm telling you. That's brutal. How about Amos? In Amos chapter 7, verse 14, he's about as obnoxious as you could get. How about Peter in Acts chapter 5, verses 3 through 9? There's 
there's a fierceness in Peter's preaching. How about Stephen in Acts chapter 7? He's outrageous in what he says to the leaders of Israel. Oh, we can't forget Elijah back there in 1 Kings 18. He's vicious, man. You see, the love of God will be the truth of God properly preached. And when it comes to the world and truth and the word of God, this is the boldness of a lion. But this is missing today. When you start to be one of these guys, and if you took these guys out and put them in our world preaching in our churches today, all the God's people would say, well, they don't have the love of Christ with them. Well, he's just not too sensitive of where people are at. He's not very understanding. He's got a mean spirit. No, they've got the truth, and the truth will set you free if you'll listen to it. There's the difference between a wimp and a lion. Now look at verse 2. For the transgression of a land, many are the princes thereof, but of man of understanding uh, and, and knowledge, uh, the state shall be prolonged. Now, for the transgression of a land, many are the princes thereof. The princes here, obviously, are the leaders of our, any country. For us, it would be, you know, the government. It would be uh, politics. It would be congressmen, senators, judges, presidents, uh, the government itself, uh, Christian uh, politics and all that. Uh, it's, it's on all levels, state, government, and federal. Uh, they'll say anything. They'll do anything to stay in power. Listen, when a man in government, uh, when men in government are corrupt, then the whole land, verse 2, will suffer and be corrupted. It's just the way that it works. The laws they pass will be to help them in their agenda. And the moving of uh, money of corporations or special interest groups or other people that are, are trying to, they're being paid off by. I mean, you the common man, you never figure into it. They'll just give you enough of the scraps to make you think that the government's doing something for you. They don't care about you. Everybody said, well, Obama, he brought in Obamacare because he cares for all the people. And he cares for this and for that. You know what? After he's out of office, did you read last week? He just bought a big mansion on Martha's Vineyard Island for $15 million. Now, what do you need a $15 million house for? I mean, is that identifying with the people? You know, that's exactly what the pastors do. They live in houses that their people can't afford. They drive cars that their people can't afford to drive. They, they, they come to the point where their whole lifestyle is above the common people. And then they want to talk about, I'm a pastor to the people. No, you're not. You're Obama. You know, back in the early days, our founding fathers who formed our government. I mean, here's a great, there's a great study here of verse 2 in our own history. John Lott was one of our founding fathers. And they were talking about the kind of government they wanted to put together. And John Lott said, you know what? If you have good laws, then you'll have good government. Now, that sounds good. William Penn, who was a Christian, Pennsylvania named after him, William Penn said, no, that's not, that's not true. He says, boys, he says, governments are like clocks that men put into motion. Yes, good laws may do some good, some good, but good men, saved men, will do better. Good laws may lack good men, but good men will never lack good laws. Neither will they ever pass bad ones. And the good men he's talking about are saved, born-again men who, who know Christ as their own personal Savior. 
Now look at the last part of that verse. By a man of understanding and knowledge, the state shall be prolonged. That's William Penn. One guy said, we just need to have good laws. The other guy said, no, no, you don't understand. It isn't about good laws. It's about good, godly, saved men being in position to make good laws because they won't make bad ones because the republic is based on the rule of law, the word of God. Then he says, the prolonging of a nation. That's, that's the state the nation's in. Or it says, he says a prolonging of a state. That's a nation. Every once a year, twice a year, the president gets up and he, what's he give? He gives a state of the union address. And of course, he says the prolonging of a state. It'll be also a prolonging of a church or a family. You know, in history, no nation that ever held the word of God ever got hurt or destroyed, only blessed. In England and America are great examples of that. Yet by that being said, no nation that ever dumped the Bible survived 200 years after getting rid of it. And there again, you see it at, in Europe. You see that in, in, in England now. And of course, you see it in America. America dumped the book in 1900. Here we are 120 years later, and look where we're at. There was a time when Czechoslovakia followed one man, John Huss, and almost everybody in the country of Czechoslovakia was born again. Look where they're at today. You couldn't find Czechoslovakia on a map because it's gone, and they dumped the book. You see, men of understanding see God's hand in the events of a nation. Men of understanding see God's hand in the events of history. I'll tell you another good example in our founding fathers, Thomas Jefferson. Now, Thomas Jefferson wrote the first draft of the Declaration of Independence. Most of you probably know that. And when he brought the first draft over to the founding fathers, there was only one reference to God in it. And the founding father said, sent it back and said, no, 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 no. Well, we, we, we can't have that. We can never forget what God has done for us. So he sent it back. And when it came back, he added three more. And in our Declaration of Independence, there's four references to God. And the great thing is, wow, what those four references are a reference to. In our Declaration of Independence, it tells of God to our country in four key ways. First of all, God is lawgiver. There's your republic. Second of all, God as creator. There's your evolution out of the school. Thirdly, God as supreme judge. You took the Ten Commandments out of the courtroom. And then God is our protector. The four fundamental things that every country had to look to God through. And then what did they do after that? The next 100, 150, 200 years, they took those verses and inscribed them on all the buildings in Washington that we'd never forget. How did we forget? Well, I, I, I'll tell you, I, I got issues with that church down there, King James only. Then you got issues with this country because this country is founded on the same book that I'm preaching this morning. And the founding fathers believed exactly what I preached this morning. You're the idiot. Franklin, Benjamin Franklin, Madison, and Washington, they put forth what is known in our early years as the Northwest Ordinance. It was an ordinance that allowed new territories that got developed to come into the Union. And the Northwest Ordinance, among other things, it stated this, that no new territory could come into the Union unless they taught the Bible in school as their curriculum. Now, we're not talking about an NIV or an ASV. We're talking about a King James 6-11 authorized version because they knew 
the Bible in school would prolong the state of the kids that were getting that Bible. I mean, uh, back in my day, 60s and the 70s, they took the Bible out of school and the drugs came in. In your day, the Bible's still out, the drugs are still there, and now they're bringing guns to school. When will we get it? Will we ever understand? Will we ever go back to our roots and understand what Proverbs is saying to us today? I'm telling you. Another example is Noah Webster. Uh, Noah Webster was our founding father, and, and uh, he, uh, he, he wrote a lot of books for schools in the early deals. Uh, we sell his dictionary back in the back, the uh, uh, 1828 dictionary uh, by uh, Noah Webster. Save man. And you'll find that he, in his dictionary, uh, he, when he gives a definition, in a lot of cases, he'll take you to the Bible and give you the Bible verse that gives it to you. First dictionary this country ever had was based on a King James 1611 authorized verse. You ought to read. You ought to read the preface about what he did, what he believed what he had tried to accomplish in our schools. And uh, he wrote the first account of American history. And he said how absolutely vital it was for God to stay in every aspect of our government. He said that putting unprincipled men in government in time would corrupt the government. Amen, brother. And those unprincipled men are the principles out of the book of Proverbs we've been studying. And the Bible says, and men of understanding and knowledge, uh, the state shall be prolonged. George Washington was our first president. And uh, on September 19, 1796, as he left office and refused to be president again, he was up in age, he gave his farewell address to the nation. And in that farewell and that dress, he gave 12 warnings to America to keep God and the principles of the Word of God in government and in schools. And that standard farewell address was standard reading and teaching in schools up to 1950. You know what the great thing about that is? He was an unsaved man. Well, George Washington was a deist. He believed in God, he believed in Christ, but he didn't believe Christ was God. You know what that tells me? What I've tried to tell you many, many times. Back in that day, the Bible was so powerful and so prevalent that an unsaved man who probably is in hell this morning knew more and believed more about the Bible than you preachers do standing in the pulpit today. That's the America that you come from. Then verse 3. A poor man that opposes the poor is like a sweeping rain which leaveth no food. Oh, this is a good one. Now we got a poor man that oppresses the poor. No greater example of this today than the third world countries of Africa, Central America, the Middle East, and Central Europe. I mean uh, places like Haiti, Zambia, Yemen, Ethiopia, Chad, Sudan, uh, Somalia, the Congo, caught up in social unrest the ethnic cleansing of murdering of millions of people just because they don't go to your church or they're not of your ethnic background. In Africa, Bosnia, Croatia, uh, Kosovo, the civil wars, the rebel uh, fighting and unrest. In Central America, it was El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras. Uh, in Europe, it was, uh, it was uh, you know, Bosnia and Croatia and the Serbia and all the fighting that went on there. And it's a thing where it's all those little countries where a guy, a poor man comes to power on the backs of poor people and then he terrorizes his own people, 
takes everything that they have to live like a king while he oppresses his people. And there's great famine. They starve to death by the thousands every day in Africa, in the Congo, in South America. Corrupt governments, third world, will always, like a sweeping rain, verse 3, leave no food for the people while the head honcho lives like a king. And boy, all you got to do is go down through South America with, uh, you know, Bolivia and Brazil and Chile and Colombia and Ecuador and Paraguay and Peru and uh, uh, Uruguay and Venezuela, and you see the poverty level of the people, but you see the men who are in charge living like kings. You have the dictators like Senabari in Somalia, Charles Taylor in Libya, Gaddafi in, in Libya, Castro in Cuba, huh, audio men in Uganda. You kidding me? He was in power for about eight years and he killed over 800,000 of his own people. The corrupt governments of this world that are oppressive and bring starvation to its own people. They take and steal everything from the people. We send aid money over, they put it into their pockets. We send food over to give to the people, they take it and charge the people so they can make money off of it. And I've even talked about the Cold War and the communists of Central Europe and how that devastated it. Hey, back in about, I don't remember what it was, probably in the late 80s or 90s, we were taking the discipleship material that you have here and we were going over to Europe uh, Berlin Wall had come down and communism was at an end and we had teams going into Russia, we had teams going into uh, all Central Europe, <clears throat> those East Bloc countries. I took teams into Romania and Hungary. Some of you sitting here were with me on some of those teams so you know what I'm talking about. We saw the devastation of those countries. We saw where the, the premiers and the guys that were living like kings and oh, I remember one morning I went with a pastor down to the grocery store, if that's what you want to call it, uh, to get bread and get whatever we could get. And the line was about a quarter of a mile long. And they ran out of bread long before anybody, everybody got bread. And I went into that store and the shelves were absolutely bare. All that was in that store was about five or six jars about that big of some kind of fermented beets or whatever that somebody had. And uh, it was absolutely empty. And the people had to grow their own food. They had to do this. They had to do that. They had to grow enough in the summer to live and get through the winter. Boy, what a verse that is. Then verse 4, they that forsake the law praise the wicked. Oh, boy. But as such as keep the law, <coughs> contend with them. Wow, what a great and true verse this is. You know, in America, we will hold up and give honor to some of the most corrupt people that the world has ever seen. It's unbelievable. You talk about, you want to know where a country's at with God? Just look who they hold up. Presidents, senators, congressmen, civil rights leaders, religious leaders, political activists, movie stars, the Pope, Roman Catholic Church, all things being we, we hold up and see. Men and women who will spend their whole lives going against everything that God has said and lead this country away from God instead of to him and to them, we will give Nobel Peace Prizes. We'll give Freedom Awards. We'll give a humanitarian award. We'll give them sainthood. We'll give them a science award. We'll give them a medical advancement award. We'll give them an award for the arts. We'll put them in the sport, baseball, football, Hall of Fame. I remember a while back, a football player, I don't remember his name because I 
don't good with football guys' names. But anyway, he got killed in a car wreck, and everybody held him up as one of the greatest guys on the planet. And oh, what a great guy! Oh, all the news things. Everybody just went on and on and on and on and on. When they finally tried to settle a state, he had so many illegitimate children across the city he lived in. They couldn't even figure out where all the money was going to go. But that's what we do. People like Elvis Presley, Marilyn Monroe, Hugh Hefner. Hugh Hefner, a big thing about it, when Marilyn Monroe died, she died in the 60s. I was just a kid. I remember when she died. Hugh Hefner died three or four years ago. And he had spent $75,000. Now, this makes front page news. He spent $75,000 to buy the crypt next to Marilyn Monroe. Because his own words, who else would you rather spend an eternity with than Marilyn Monroe? Now, I don't mean to be crass here, and forgive me if you get offended by this, but let me show you where the depravity is. Jay Leno, making sport in front of that, in front of the whole world, says, if I'm going to spend $25 to be next to Marilyn Monroe, I'm going to get the crypt on top of her. And everybody just laughs. Everybody just thinks that's hilarious. Everybody thinks that's just funny, and we hold them up. You know, $75,000 to be next to Marilyn Monroe for all eternity. I wonder how that's working out for them. If they're side by side, it ain't in that crypt. And in hell, they lifted up their eyes, being in torments. Hank Williams. I saw the light. I saw the light. That's a great song. We like to sing it. Everybody sings it. I love it. But at the end of the day, he didn't see the light. He died in the back of a car in Steubenville, Ohio, with an overdose of drugs. Duke Ellington, Dr. Spock, J. Edgar Hoover, Ellen DeGenerate, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, H. Rap Brown, Jesse Jackson, Hugh Hefner, all of them. We hold them up and a thousand like them from role models for our kids. The Bible says, but such as keep the law, contend with them. You bet you we do. By preaching the principles of the word of God. You bet you we do. The world's government falsely claims peace. And man rejects God's word as the only real peace there can be. And then using peace to gain all the power that he can by killing the opposition. You know, World War I... <clears throat> was a real turning point in history. Most people know and never see it for many reasons, not only for the second coming of Christ and what God was doing with the Jew, <clears throat> but in warfare. It's called the Great War. <clears throat> and it's called a Great War because there was never a war anywhere in the history of our time that devastated it was such a loss of life. It was unbelievable. <clears throat> they had got <clears throat> the primitive art of killing each other to a fine science. This is where gas was first used, mustard gas. This is where machine guns were first used, tripod machine guns. This is where they killed them in barrages from the air and, and bombardments and just millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of people lost their lives. It was so catastrophic that they said at the end that this was the war to end all wars. And it was called the Great War. And in 1919, they said, we've got to stop war. We got to, and so they put together what has been, was called the League of Nations. 
and the League of Nations was formed to stop war. Then World War II came along, and the world, every place in it, was thrown into uh, a worldwide conflict that uh, only ended after bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki and killed millions of people and brought in the most terrible age, uh, the atomic age. And now nations want to, now get this, now nations think they can keep peace by having more atomic weapons than the other nation. Because the theory is that if we got bombs and you got bombs, you know if you bomb us, we'll bomb you and we'll obliterate everybody. So therefore, you'll never use your bomb because you know we'll use ours. So our peace lies in the fact that we're not going to use atomic weapons. So atomic weapons is a safeguard. Yeah, until you get an idiot in there. You get somebody in there, you know, that uh, you know, gets in there and starts playing with the buttons and then it's all over. Nineteen forty five after World War II saw the forming of the United Nations. Again, a coalition of nations to, to end war, bring peace. Yeah, here it comes. United Nations started nineteen forty five and they wanted to bring peace. So you know what they had to do? What they all do. They got a verse out of Isaiah chapter two, verse four, which deals with Christ in the millennium where there's no more war, no more peace, and they put it right on the front of the UN building. You can go see it. And this is 1945. You had an NIV, ASV, RSV, Douay Reims. You know what Bible they chose? Guess. Go on, humor me. Guess. King James 1611 authorized version. You know the verse they use? The verse they use out of Isaiah there is a verse for the millennium where it talks about God coming back and it says that they take their swords and beat them into plowshares and they don't know war anymore. There have been 152 wars since the United Nations were in 1945. How's that working for you? Countless civil wars, hundreds of millions killed in unrest and war since the beginning uh, in 1945. Hey, there'll be no peace till the Prince of Peace returns to this earth. And the only government that's going to bring in a lasting peace is his. And Proverbs chapter 28 opens up with a great political statement because I'm telling you what, the governments of this world stand for one thing, against God. And then Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4 will be the establishing of God's righteous government and reigning on that throne and uh, everything else counterfeits it. I'm going to read for you Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. It's incredible. It says this. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountains of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow into it. And many people shall go and say, come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people. And they shall, bear their so- uh, shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come ye, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Now that's God's government. That's the government that's coming. 
Back to Governor Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, that once it gets established, it never ends. And in the increase of that governor, there'll be no end. And these, these verses are a great political statement on God's government in the face of the governments that we're up against. And I don't activate going against the government. Romans chapter 13 says, though the powers that be, God works through of it. God never called anybody to overthrow the government, be an activist against the government. You submit yourself to the government, but you understand that the real government coming is coming with the Lord. And there'll be no peace. And uh, it's said today that all roads lead to Rome. And that is so true politically, religiously, just about every fashion of life. All roads do lead to Rome. But there's coming a time, as we just saw in Isaiah, in the millennium and eternity, that all roads will lead to the king through Jerusalem. And all the world, all the nations will come and sit down and he will teach them his ways. You know, on a small scale, I know we're still in the church age and we're a long way from the land, but on a small scale, that's what churches are supposed to do today. You know what it says, walking in the path in that verse? We're called old paths. Jeremiah 6, verse 16. We look for the old paths, wherein is the good and right way. And that's the way it's going to be in the millennium. And churches right now should be just a, a little offshoot of that, where you are sitting down with people on Sunday morning, for us Thursday night, Wednesday night, whatever you do, and you simply teach them the way of the Lord and his paths and show them the government that is the best government. And even though we have this government here that we got to be part of, and that's just the way it is, the bottom line is that we are spiritually in his government. And the Bible says that you're an ambassador. And an ambassador goes to a foreign country and he represents his country. You and I are an ambassador of Christ. We're in a foreign country because our citizenship is up in heaven and we represent his government and everything that we do. Well, we'll hold up there.